Welcome to my world, the world of podcasts. Okay, actually, this episode is going to be on all things audio, which includes podcasts, podfix, and music. Speaking of which, fun fact of the day, did you know Billie Eilish named her cat Misha after the actor Misha Collins because she was such a big Supernatural fan? Just saying, we fans are everywhere. Anyways, let's get back to the world of podcasts. Podcasting is a broad category akin to radio on demand and encompasses so many styles. NPR's deeply investigative shows like Throughline are one style, or there's the chatty storytelling like Normal Gossip. Shout out to my old roommate and host, Kelsey. But both of those have some form of institutional backing. The majority of podcasts by independent creators tend to follow very different structures. And when it comes to fandom, and the SPN family in particular, the vast majority of podcasts are rewatch shows. And if you're a listener who's also an SPN fan, then I'm guessing you know where we're going with this. Monster of the Week is a creepy but necessary podcast, which is one of our taglines, uh, where we just talk about every episode of the TV show Supernatural. This is Jeremy, one of the two co-hosts for the podcast Monster of the Week. He hosted the show along with his friend Chris to review every single episode of Supernatural on a weekly basis. Although they have other projects, the Monster of the Week podcast is currently on hiatus. Makes sense, seeing as they took over five years to complete the project and haven't caught their breath to do the same with the Supernatural prequel series, The Winchesters. Monster of the Week follows a pretty classic podcast structure of a conversation between friends. This is a conversation between two people, and it was always really important to me to capture that. Like, I wanted people to hear me and Chris talk like we were friends. And it's weird because Chris and I became friends because of this podcast. We've never met each other in person. I've spent probably at this point a thousand hours on a microphone with that guy. Listening to an episode with Jeremy and Chris can kind of feel like eavesdropping on a couple of friends, just cutting it up at a bar. So we take a very comedic approach to it. We, we It's a very silly show at times, um, so we don't take it seriously, except when it, we have to take it seriously because it's taking itself seriously, if that makes sense. Like it's, We, we get as much fun out of like uh, ragging on it as we do um, really get into the like emotional core of the characters. What I found particularly remarkable is that Chris and Jeremy weren't really in the fandom before they started the podcast. They liked Supernatural, but really had no sense for the online fandom community and the, let's say, intensity of SPN family. Uh, I love the show. I really do. But like engaging with the fandom is can be really, really intense sometimes because you're just like, oh, wow, these people care a lot more, and which is great. And I love it. I really do. It's just when you start realizing, like, even though you're this public face of something that you don't necessarily you're not as intense with it as maybe some other people are. It's, it can be very intimidating. Of course, once the fandom found out about Monster of the Week, they helped pull Jeremy further into the fandom itself. He went from not really understanding what shipping is, remember episode two, to commissioning a whole series of SPN cover songs, including a few that mentioned Dustiel. Though I know That 
that clip you just heard is from a song called Hunks of Summer that was commissioned by Monster of the Week. I'll go ahead and throw a link to that in the show notes. Anyways, I actually found it really funny talking with Jeremy when we got onto the topic of meta-fandom, that basically his podcast is a fan podcast about the show, but that now he and Chris have fans of their own. It's like some kind of fanception. It's been so rewarding, like talking to people and things like that. They, When we finished the podcast, they got together and did like a published book of all of our episode art and the lyrics to the songs that we had done. And it, I mean, it's just, it's just bonkers how much work they obviously put into this. Fan art for a fan podcast. Look at me tying all these previous topics and themes together. But really, I think this is just one more example of how the SPN family supports creators within the fandom in all sorts of unique and lovely ways. And although Monster of the Week has finished their blitz through the Supernatural canon, that doesn't mean Jeremy and Chris are done with the series yet. We lived in this world for so long, we want to keep going with it. They plan to cover the recently released prequel series, The Winchesters, as well as perhaps some of the comics or books. Unsurprisingly, there's still so much material out there for them to discuss. Taking a different approach to the series, I also had the opportunity to speak with Marie from Carrying Wayward podcast. I had spent like the early fall talking with one of my friends, Drew Schulman, who is my co-host on this podcast. And I was like, Drew, we should really start a podcast. Like, listen, you know how to podcast. I'm looking for ways to like get better at public speaking. Let's let's do this together and we can do it about Supernatural. Like, you know nothing about it. I know it all. And we can just go through it episode by episode. I'll be honest, I never really thought about podcasting as being a practice space for public speaking. As I said in the last episode, I have never really been shy and I've never had a problem talking to others, whether that be while waiting in line for an autograph or when giving an academic presentation about my research. But from all the friends I made in grad school, I know that's not usually the case. I had just started my master's in 2019, in the fall of 2019, and I was realizing that I was super nervous at the idea of speaking in front of people. And uh, one of the things that really scared me was like how good academics are at responding to questions that they don't know the answer to. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know how to do that. I need like two to three business days in order for me to like absorb the question and answer it. And that's just not going to fly. So I'm like, I really need to like learn how to respond better, like how to develop my like extroverted skills, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And working with Drew has definitely done that. (laughs) I love him. I asked Marie how a podcast on Supernatural could possibly help prepare her for an academic conference and getting difficult questions pitched your way during a presentation. She said it's about being prepared and comfortable with the unexpected. So he throws me curveballs sometimes that I have to like really work with. He'll ask me questions that I try not to spoil him for what's going to happen later. And so again, I have to like really stay on my feet. And so that's been incredibly useful for me. And I see it also like when people ask me questions about my my research, my projects, I feel more confident in my ability to answer these questions, even if I don't necessarily know the answer. Besides both spending way too long in school, 
Yay, grad school. (laughs) Marie and I also share the commonality that we started our podcasts after Supernatural had come to an end. And this allows Caring Wayward to look at the series as a whole and to help put it into context. Now that we have the full story, it makes sense to kind of go back to add more context, right? So like, I don't know, I don't want to get super technical and nerdy, but like one of the things that I do, thank you, (laughs) thanks for allowing it. (laughs) One of the things that I do in my research is called the hermeneutic circle, where like you start with a text, any kind of text, and then you go through the, the text and then you start talking to different people about it. A lot of the time in a research context, it's your research partners. And then you go back to the text with a different context and then you find new findings. And then you do that again. And then you find new findings again. And I think that a part of what's going on with Supernatural is that, is that we keep finding these new findings, making new sense out of the narrative that maybe didn't quite make sense at the time. It's a blessing and a curse to the series that Supernatural started in 2005 and survived for well over a decade. That means it gives so much material to analyze, both in terms of episodes, but also in terms of the broader social context around the show. Popular opinions around relationships within a family or even just fashion choices have changed a lot since 2005. And that's reflected from the broader world into the show as well. You see how the the narrative kind of transforms the way that the brothers look at John, for example. Like at the very beginning, like he's seen as like this hero, like this understood man, like big daddy man, you know, like, and yet as the story goes on, they start like unraveling that relationship and kind of like seeing what actually happened to them. As far as dad goes, I dream about dad all the time. You do? Of course I do. It's usually the same one too. We're all in the car, I'm sitting in the driver's seat, dad's sitting shotgun, but there aren't any shotguns. There's no monsters, there's no hunting, there's none of that. So that's the lens that Drew and Marie use in Carrying Wayward. Yes, it's another review show going through all the episodes, but it's also trying to understand these broader forces that influence the show and how we see it now. And from what I can tell, each rewatch podcast manages to find their own niche of how they think about the show. Whether that's therapy and emotional development from the Fangirl Business podcast, or looking at the history of music on the show in Logan Berry's podcast, Driver Picks the Music. If you listen to the second episode of Driver Picks the Music, you actually get to hear yours truly talking about a really unique Willie Nelson cover that I adore. Anyways, hopefully you're not tired of hearing about rewatch shows because I have one more that I think is a special treat. I'm longtime friends with the creator of Supernatural, Eric Kripke. And so when I was launching my company, I said, you know, there's all these rewatch podcasts out there for like The Office and like The West Wing. And 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 I said, wouldn't it be fun? I'd love to do one for Supernatural. That's right. I spoke with the creator of Story Mill Media and producer of the podcast Supernatural Then and Now, Stephen Hine. However, you might not recognize his voice because Stephen isn't actually the host of SPNTAN, as it's abbreviated. You know, Robin Rich hosts a number of kind of fan conventions across the country, like 12 or 13 of them uh, a year. You know, they're great kind of mouthpieces to kind of be representing the show. And plus, 
you know, their banter and their chemistry is an excellent dimension to the podcast that I wasn't even thinking about um, at the onset. For all two, three of you non-supernatural fans that are listening, Stephen is referring to Rob Benedict and Richard Spate Jr., who host the show. It's extra funny to hear them fan about guest stars and set design and directing choices in their rewatch podcast because, well, they were actually on the show. I said at the beginning that I do my best to avoid major spoilers, but you should know that Rob and Rich play major characters in the supernatural mythology. That's all I'm going to say at this point, I think. But it's extra funny to me that even folks who are a part of the Supernatural show somehow managed to geek out about it as well. Even Steven, who admittedly hadn't seen the entire series yet, brought up how he loved the unique sets created for the motel rooms where much of the first seasons take place. But like any other podcast, being a fan doesn't magically make all the work of creating a podcast go away. Getting Robin Rich's schedule to align to find like two hours every two weeks is hard enough. And then to throw another person on top of that, a working entertainment professional who like, you know, it's a giant game of like Jenga or Tetris sometimes. And sometimes that game of Tetris leads to recording at less optimal times. We recorded one at, I think it was five in the morning once. We recorded one episode where like, you know, Rich was in Canada, Rob was in Mexico, the guest was in New York. It was just like all over the place. And that's just the recording. Steven says it's about a four-hour lift to watch the episode, set interviews, and get everything ready before recording on the front end. After recording... You know, it takes probably about about 10 hours in the edit that Trey spends, you know, with the, with the material. And, you know, and Trey does a great job with, like, you know pulling the selects for the bloopers and kind of just cleaning. To clarify, Trey Booty is the editor for SPN Then and Now and puts together all the pieces of tape. Once it's all put together, there's still publishing and marketing, which takes up at least another two to three hours. So yeah, it's no small project and it's still growing. We have this nice structure of like the summary and the interview and then fun facts and mythology. Um, than the blooper reel. But I always like, you know, we're always trying to kind of think, is there like a new segment that we should try every once in a while just so we don't get lazy? And we want to do more weird stuff. Um, and we have some weird stuff in season three that I hope fans will enjoy. As a listener myself, I've caught some of the fun new approaches they've tried, including a very funny inside joke about never-ending Tuesdays. Y'all know what I'm talking about. SPN Then and Now was created as a rewatch podcast that's ostensibly hosted by some of the better-known actors from the show, not including the leads, obviously. Yet it still somehow ends up being a fan creation in that the hosts are enthusiastic fans for all the creators involved in the show, whether they be in front of the camera or behind the scenes. Supernatural Then and Now, is its intention is to be, you know, a celebration of the show and the people that made it. Look, you and I both know I could gush over the podcasting format for hours, but that wouldn't be fair to the other forms of audio production created by the SPN family. In fact, when conducting these interviews for the podcast, I somehow stumbled into a format that I had no idea existed. Podfix. 
Okay, so I sorta knew they existed. I've spent enough time on fanfiction website AO3 to have stumbled across stories labeled as podfix, but I never paid them much mind. Katie set me straight and showed me what I was missing. I really did want to try my hand at writing uh, fanfiction, but I didn't really know where to start and just wasn't confident with it. And I'd had a few ideas and it came alongside the recording of the audiobooks of the podfix. Audiobooks for fanfiction are called podfix. This is Katie, who is Dusty L. Cannon on Twitter. And let me tell you, it took me way too long to get the joke of her screen name. I legit thought Dusty was her nickname. Moving on, Katie got into podfix through fanfiction. But we shouldn't be surprised that she was interested in the format to begin with. She's always been a fan of audiobooks, a useful trait when she had to read a mountain of young adult fiction as part of her degree in elementary school education. And I came from just loving audiobooks, loved audiobooks, and I worked full-time to put myself through college. And like, when am I going to have time to read all these books, whatever. And so the picture books, you know, had to be done on their own. But I went to the library and found all of this YA audiobooks, all of this YA stuff on audiobook and was like, well, I can do that while I'm working. So I would, and when we weren't allowed to have headphones and that Bluetooth didn't exist back then. So I would ran, I had long hair and I ran a headphone up my shirt and up my ear and I made sure to keep my hair on, you know, uh, covering my ear and I would listen to audiobooks while I worked. <laughs> And her love of audio storytelling reaches well beyond audiobooks, which are usually just a narrator reading aloud. Katie also loves learning about all the environmental sounds that help build the world of a story around the listener. Every time there's a documentary about Foley work or voiceovers or anything, I've always thought that was really cool. And so just as a whole, loved the whole medium. So it was kind of natural when I stumbled upon Podfix that I was like, I could do that, maybe. <laughs> so it was through fan fiction that Katie decided to take the leap and record a podfic of her own story just to see if she liked it. And surprise, surprise, she did. So she started to seek out friends who would be willing to let her turn their stories into audio dramas. The first ones I did were literally friends. Like, I trusted them. I was like, hey do you mind? Do you mind if I do yours? Like, and they were like, oh my God, I'd be honored, you know? And, and so they were really sweet about it. It took a bit of practice before she really felt like she got the hang of things, not just adding occasional sound effects or, or background music, but even the simple stuff like pacing and voices. If you listen to my first podfic to now, it's completely different, completely different. The pacing is different. And like, I was too fast. And then there was a period where I was too slow. And now I feel like I've hit a sweet spot where it's conversation speed. I agonize over recording this podcast every time. Am I going too fast? I tend to be a very fast speaker so that I know that I have to slow down and hyper enunciate when I'm recording. But then I worry that maybe I'm actually going too slow. <sighs> so, yeah, I understand Katie's struggles. But she's come a long way since those early days. And now you can even find her podfix streaming on podcast apps instead of relying only on the built-in player on AO3. And with all that practice has come a new goal she's working towards, putting herself out there as an audiobook narrator. Now I'm about to put out my 100th podfic, 
that my pacing is good. I've got everything down. I'm not scared. Like I needed this under my belt to be able to say, this is what I sound like, you know, and this is what I'm going to consistently sound like. And then I would love to do that. I don't think I could do it as a full-time job, but like definitely as a part-time thing would be really cool. And that's kind of my ultimate goal right now. Katie still has a few more steps to put together her portfolio of work, but her experience with podficking has her feeling prepared for taking that next leap. In the meantime, she's just happy to give back to her fan community, whether that means recording fellow fans' fan fiction as a podfic or offering advice and helping folks who are interested in starting to podfic themselves. So anybody I can inspire to listen to podfix or create podfix or talk about podfix like i'm all down on that i think that's so much fun the more we have the better this episode couldn't be complete without mentioning the important role that music plays in both the fandom and in the show of supernatural itself from the earliest episodes creator eric kripke pitched the show as a road tripping monster hunting story focusing on two brothers and soundtracked by classic 70s rock music. And that remained a core aspect of the show for its entire run, introducing younger fans to music that they may not have been so familiar with. And this is where I have to tell a bit of an embarrassing anecdote. My musical taste has always been a bit selective and weird in its variety. I already had an appreciation for bands like the Allman Brothers or Creedence Clearwater Revival, But Supernatural better introduce me to new favorites like Bad Company and Blue Oyster Cult. (laughs) In fact, I had to make a minimum purchase for a free shipping at Target and ended up buying a Led Zeppelin t-shirt. The first time I put it on, my husband glanced down at the Icarus image and immediately said, You don't like Led Zeppelin. I responded, Yes, I do. You don't like their music. Yes, I do. And then he said, oh, yeah, name three songs. (laughs) Uh, It's now a running joke between the two of us to name three things when we tease each other. He was totally wrong in that I can name plenty of Zep tracks, by the way, but also right in that I got into the band because of Supernatural. Which is funny because famously, Supernatural could never afford the royalty rights or get permissions for a Zeppelin song, even though they referenced the band a lot. Like, Dean and Sam's fake FBI credentials that they used to investigate Supernatural murders often included the names Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. I did feel vindicated when the season finale of The Winchesters pulled off what the original show could not— Thanks to Jensen Ackles' persistence and willingness to take a cut on his appearance fees, the Winchesters was able to feature the song Ramble On for the finale. It probably also helped that Jensen has a kid named after the band, but I digress. Like I said in the first episode, this podcast is about the fandom of Supernatural, not the show itself. Though funny enough, There is an example of a band who has been both part of the fandom experience and appeared on screen. Well, we were a band, um, obviously, before Supernatural. Uh, Rob was still an actor. He was a character on the show Felicity. Um, When I joined the band, we were literally playing smaller venues. We We were 
recruiting our friends to come to the shows and trying to get as many people there as possible. Really, I think we were setting up postcards back in the day. So it, was, it's, it shows you how long ago it's been. We performed at one show. It was on a Sunday night and the only attendee in the audience was my wife because that was my ride home. Once again, I know diehard fans already know who this is, but for the casual listener, meet Loudon Swain. The voice you just heard is Billy Moran, the band's guitarist. Other members of the band include Stephen Norton on drums, Michael Borgia on bass, and Rob Benedict on vocals. I managed to catch up with Billy and Stephen and hear how they went from a small band established in the late 90s to the band associated with Supernatural and rock stars of each convention put on by Creation Entertainment. If you're a Supernatural fan but haven't heard much about the conventions, then Loud and Swain might not be as well known to you. The band was founded in LA in the late 90s and composes and performs their own original music. Obviously, this was well before Supernatural started airing. But the band became associated with the show because the frontman and lead singer, Rob Benedict, plays a major role in Supernatural, starting in season four. So when the actors of Supernatural started regularly touring the country for conventions, it seemed like a natural fit to have Loudon Swain accompany. Rich pitched us as uh, not Loudon Swain, but as the Elastic Waistband. And that was his brainchild. That was, uh, I couldn't come up with that one. I was sweet Johnny High Pockets. Again, I don't know how his brain works, but it works in mysterious ways. Michael Borja was Sir Richard Furlong. He's this British character that we invented. And there he is. And then Steve was Hot Carl, which I, I, I love that name. And then obviously Rob was just Tango, just Tango, nothing more than Tango. And we all had to dress up in these like 70 retro cheap suits. And it was it was quite fun for a, a show or two. And that was actually cool to be able to put back on that old 70s attire to do the episode of the Winchesters recently and kind of do a throwback to the elastic waistband. Billy says Richard Spate Jr. was really the one who helped push to get Loudon Swain on stage and to play backup for panels as well as the Saturday Night Special concert. Though Stephen notes that they were originally going to focus on classic rock covers and weren't so sure if they wanted to stick with their real band name, hence the Elastic Waistbands. Yeah, there was there was a bit of a conversation early on about uh, about how we were going to position the band because we weren't sure that that doing covers at a convention was was something that we really wanted to be associated with Loudon Swain. But then once we got involved in it and started doing it, we were like, we just decided to buy in 100% and we just we just rolled with it. So we uh, so we ditched the Elastic Waistband name and went back to uh, went back to just doing it as Loudon Swain. Not that the name Loudon Swain is easiest to spell. Apparently, this has been a problem that's dogged them for years. The name originates as the name of the main character from an 80s film based on a book called Vision Quest. The author of the book, Vision Quest, sent us, we got this letter in the mail and we were all, as soon as we got it, we were all like, oh God, he's going to ask us to stop using the name. And it was this really lovely, sweet letter that basically said, thank you guys so much for keeping the name alive. Thank you for, you know, for doing what you do. And like, here's an here's a copy of my new book and here's an autographed movie poster. To me, this sounds like another example of this fanception. But back to SPN family. 
When we spoke, I had to ask what it's like to play a full concert in a hotel lobby rather than a more traditional venue. To me, it seems like that might take away from the energy and excitement of a live show. But Billy pointed out that they have the unique opportunity to travel all over the U.S. and connect with audiences who might have never heard of them. And the cool thing is, with with the fandom, because it's such such a tight knit community, like people meet each other for the first time at these things and remain in contact for the rest of their lives. It's really a beautiful thing to watch. Um, we'll basically provide an excuse for them to get together and hang out. And, you know, they're coming to a show, they're coming to support us, they like the music, but they're also coming to see themselves and, and see each other and hang out with you. It's been really cool to be a part of that, you know, to be such a, a reason for people to get together and, and, and kind of find time to kind of just relax and enjoy each other's company, you know? And then we've been lucky enough that people like Brianna and Kim and, and you know, along the way, some other people have wanted to actually sing Loudon Swain songs as their cover song. So it's like this weird meta thing where we're covering a cover of, a, of an original. Brianna Buckmaster and Kim Rhodes are also actors from Supernatural and occasional rock stars who pop into the Saturday Night Special concert to sing a song or two. And of course, this tradition has been carried on now that the conventions are integrating cast members from the Winchester's prequel show. So many other fandoms are tied deeply to their music. Just hearing the first few opening bars of the Star Trek theme gets plenty of Trekkies excited. And the Star Wars Imperial March is now so well known that I've been to multiple weddings that somehow snuck the song into their ceremony. But how many fandoms have a live band play at their conventions? How many fandoms get to hear songs written not about the show, but about the experience of a band traveling all over the United States to play at these conventions? It feels so special that SPN Family has this unique gift. Though Billy and Steven say that the conventions are a gift for them as well, meeting the fans and seeing the creativity within the community. I mean, personally, I'm just amazed by the amount of just artists within the community. You know, like you said, you interviewed Scout earlier. And I mean, meeting folks like that, like Scout and, and all these photographers that come through and, and, and just take amazing photos of us, uh, you know, and, and the convention throughout the weekend. I'm just blown away by the collective amount of talent that comes to these shows that aren't necessarily associated with the shows from a, uh, a guest standpoint. We're very fortunate to have been to you know to have found ourselves in this place where we get to go out and get to perform all these you know at all these different cities and all these different places all over the world and yeah we're just super lucky and and super blessed to be um to be able to be surrounded by talented fans and wonderful fans and devoted fans who basically like make it fun for us to go do what we do and who you know whose feedback means the world to us And before we leave Loudon Swain, I feel like I should at least mention a little detail you can't get from the audio alone. When I first hopped on the Zoom call with Billy and Steven, I was totally unsurprised to see Billy had a guitar on his lap that he fiddled with as we talked. I almost hoped that you'd be able to hear the occasional twang of a plucked string, but Zoom audio apparently is too good and filtered it out. In the last episode, 
You heard Wayward Girl Photography, a.k.a. Jen, talk about the radio company show in Nashville. And while they aren't a fan creation, you just know that I couldn't resist telling you about my own experience getting to see them live. Although, to be fair, I do think they represent the way that SPN Family comes together as a community to support projects outside the SPN universe. Radio Company is the name of the musical venture between Supernatural actor Jensen Ackles and longtime friend and musician Steve Carlson. Formed in 2018, they've released three albums of original music, with their newest album, Keep On Ramblin', published in February. While it's totally unrealistic to call Radio Company a fan-generated band, they still have their fandom roots. Like, when the lyrics for the second album dropped in 2021, certain sections of the fandom nearly exploded. There's a track from the album called Watching Over Me, which lyrically sounds very much like a message from Dean Winchester to Castiel. Like, a lot. And the fandom caught on to this immediately. Did Jensen Ackles just write a fan song? Somehow this topic made it to one of the conventions where Misha Collins, the actor who plays Castiel, confirmed that the song was about his character. Cue screaming fangirls across the aisles. So while the band isn't fan-made, it has a lot of sway in the SPN family. In fact, when the Radio Company concert last December was announced for Nashville, I knew that I had to bite the bullet and go, seeing as it was their first ever concert. That's not counting when Steve and Jensen played a few covers at the Kansas City Saturday Night Special Show, but we're not gonna talk about that. Seriously, when the Radio Company tickets went up online, I was in the midst of an eight hour road trip to the Upper Peninsula for a friend's camping trip. My husband navigated the twisting pavement, passing beautiful fall-colored trees on a narrow road, as I desperately hit refresh and prayed to the Wi-Fi gods that my signal would be good enough for my purchase to go through. I guess it worked because I managed to snag a ticket in the cheapest section. Once I had the ticket, there was no question that I was going, even if it meant a solo trip to a new city. Not that I needed to be worried. As you can probably tell from all the previous episodes, SBN family are crazy welcoming, and I quickly made myself a group of friends. On the night of the concert, we queued up for hours, somehow finagling free drinks, cough Danny, cough, <laughs> and getting intel from the better seated fans on where to stand for the best view from the analog's balcony. While we were waiting along the balcony rail for Loudon Swain's opening act, somehow Brianna Buckmaster stopped by to say hi. It took me an embarrassing moment to realize who she was. It just felt like she was another fan, stopping to chat about how excited she was and how incredible it was that they sold out the show in under 10 minutes. The Supernatural fandom aren't just fans of the characters and the world of the show. We're also fans of the many creative endeavors outside the show. And as a community, we love to show up. It was an incredible experience, just hearing a packed house sing along to radio company songs and cheer until voices were hoarse. There was something really magical about that night. That magic seems to have staying power too. When Radio Company released their third album in February, they had almost half a million streams on Spotify within a week of the release. And in that first week, they were also the third most popular country album on Apple Music. You just know the SPN family had a lot to do with those chart-topping numbers. 
There haven't been any new announcements of additional radio company concerts yet. So while my husband teases me mercilessly that I flew all the way to Nashville for a concert, me and my SPN family are still holding out hope for another one. And who knows? Conventions are still happening regularly. I don't know about you, but I'll be keeping my fingers crossed. Thank you to everyone who took the time to speak with me and share what motivates them to create. There are so many wonderful creators that deserve to be included here that I wasn't able to reach for this episode. I definitely recommend checking out the show notes where you'll find links to podcasts, music, and more, all created by our guests and others in the SPN family. Editorial support was provided by Dr. Anna Funk. Hip-hop remixes that you heard throughout the episode are by Jake Lionheart. There's also additional music provided by Loud and Swing. Audio production help from Sean Ellis Hussey. Cover art was designed by Liz. Thanks to Meg, Rupert Gaze, Danny, and Marissa for supporting the show through Kofi. In Defense of Fandom was made possible through An Unhealthy Obsession, and your support through Kofi. If you're not already supporting the show and you'd like to, you can find a link in the show notes to our Kofi. Your support is deeply appreciated. Oh, carry on.